This is Mud and Chrome, an Altered Carbon podcast, and today we are watching episode 7, Nora Inu. I'm Van Velding, and I'm watching this show like it's the only thing between me and season 2 of The Good Place. And 3, 2, 1, engage. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm, I'm pretty serious about that Good Place thing. You know, it's important to note that I don't hate this show. This show is average. And I think this happens every so often where I find a piece of media that's average and I say, everything should be on average about this good. I think that's implied by the definition. However, most things are pretty crap and they're pretty freaking crap. And I think most things should be about this good or a little worse than this good. You know, give or take. So I don't think this is bad. I I get bored with it because I get bored with things. And I think that's completely natural for for me to do. I'm picky about stuff. I am going to die. Unlike most of the people in this series, I'm going to die. And, well, probably like most of the people in this series, now that I think about it. They're only, excuse me, I'm making myself a drink here. So, we're, we're fast-forwarding through his, his deep childhood trauma, which makes Kovacs a protector, and which makes her desperate to survive? I, th- I think that's a charitable interpretation of their characters. It leads them down similar paths where we think, because... They have a similar start. They go down similar paths. We think they're going to be here together. They're simpatico. And they build up this similarity very believably. Such that when we learn later that that similarity doesn't go as deep as we'd like. That uh, it, it works from their characters. And I think it's a good twist. Spoilers. I just get tired of it. You know, I just I just absolutely get tired of it. Where I think it's going to do something really clever with its ideas. I think it's going to do something really revolutionary. And then it, it just, you know, it fails to do that. It fails to transcend the average. And that's not a crime, but I'm going to die one day. And I would like to spend my time on Earth uh, engaging in exceptional media or trying to make good media out of average media. I'm just trying to make something out of this. That's my nature. I like holding things and thinking that I can transform them into something better. And if something's great, I want to spread it in the world. If it's good, I like to have it close to hand. And if it's bad, I want to make it good. I want to process it somehow. I want to I want to di- eat it and digest it and poop out something that other people like but granted most of the things I do because of a certain lack of of introspection and a reluctance to really get get the old elbow grease in there it it comes out being a little more like poop however enough introspection and enough poop jokes the German guy isn't German his last name is German so I thought he was German from the first episode but I guess not I like this set. This set is as 
freaking easy as the hol- well, it's probably a little more difficult than the holodeck is in Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they just took the cargo bay, rolled out some gridded mats, and then there's a big rolled up wall for the holodeck, and they just unfurl it around. Because you'll notice the holodeck corners are curved, so I think they just hang like a big black thing with red fluorescent grid on it from the ceiling, and that's the holodeck. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate effect. So the question is, what is the the moment that makes Kovacs turn on SeaTac? We've asked that before. We have asked, I have asked that before, you know, why did he turn on him? Um, and I didn't assume it would be anything as contrived as, as what it is. We'll talk about that when we get here. Um, I wasn't sure at first if this was a flashback or VR, but it turns out it's both. I like that he is concerned with his sister, that SeaTac gives him an, a lie that is obvious to the audience. But seriously, though, for SeaTac, did they think he would never find out? I, like, I know they cut him off from his family, but then, like, they never kept track. But I believe it because SeaTac is a textbook authoritarian. Our people can punch hard. Therefore, we are good police idiots. They think they're powerful because they are strong whenever power is more complicated than that. It should absolutely come from uh, intelligence and finding like the right people and all these kinds of things. So the, I, I guess bodies grow when they're in stasis. I know they went over this with the Bancrofts a while back. Um, you know, in terms of how they're kept in like stasis. Where they're not, I guess they're not in stasis. They're just asleep and they have muscle things to keep them, like, um, you know, muscled up and they're sedated. So then I, do, I don't know if the clones of the Bancrofts are rapidly grown or if because Methuselahs live a long time, they're, they're kind of cloned with them. Because, uh, I mean, you know, if you're 200, you get a clone body. You start a clone body every five years or whatever and you get a new one. Although... I have many questions about clone bodies because apparently the 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 Methuselahs used them to just travel around the world. So does Bancroft have a clone of himself in Japan whenever he needle casts over to Japan? They talk about using stacks to explore later on. And it's like, well were there humans there or what? So Anyway, I was ready to say goodbye to Dick's body. I thought this series was going to do something like really, um, really high level and get rid of our main character and replace him with someone else and just have another actor do it. Not that's not even asking for a lot in this series. Your your sleeve is mutable. Your character can change, and at every moment, this show bitches out and decides to just keep the faces that we know instead of letting another actor take over a role. Oh, I completely... I, I really hoped he would die. I I think it's interesting how they put a child in an adult's body for SeaTac. Like, I'll talk about the SeaTac stuff later. But they, they put a child in an adult's body, and it's like, wow, that's interesting. I read a Reddit post about a guy who um, didn't go through puberty. Like, just, you know, humans have conditions that, that they can have and that's one of them he didn't go through puberty um, 
And he talks about the changes in his personality and his attitude and his ability to regulate his emotions um, after after taking hormones that would simulate puberty. And uh, it's just insane that you could just put a child through into that body without the necessary, I presume necessary because of my limited parochial modern day vision without that necessary transition period to learn and to grow. Um, it seems really, really... Uh, it's a fascinating idea in that it seems immediately like a very bad idea for you to do. But we understand that CTAC is immoral, so that's not really a, a, an obstacle to them. It's just I'm, I'm curious about the implications and what that means. So she's a Methuselah, which I pegged early on. I like the twist. We kind of assume she's a Methuselah because she has all these facilities, although you'd think that she could just take him to a really good doctor. But she's pretty subtle about things, and I guess she wants to handle things with her own face. I don't know if she told him the story, which we know immediate is a lie. Like, I, I just... They keep shitting on Dick's body, too. Um... Because, I don't know why, like, he's not that old, he's in great shape, he seems capable, like, oh, you gotta get out of this shitty body. I guess the envoys didn't double sleeve and fake their deaths after all, I was hoping for that, I was hoping that that they had done that, but I guess not, we learned that later. Yeah, she says one in a billion, and I immediately saw that as a lie. Um, so then I'm like, well, what else is happening? Because, like, it's 200 years and she just waits for him, which is stupid. I guess she was doing meth things and living her life, but then she looks into these envoy rumors. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the, I'm getting, I'm missing the point where someone else has been using Kovac's, Kovac's body this whole time. And, um, he got him tattoos and stuff. So, is there, like, a guy that exercises the C-Tex bodies? Is like, a guy who just is like, oh, it's been a month. And, like, he downloads and he just does, like, an exercise regimen and does stuff for him. And, uh, has him lift weights. Because, like, they can't have a CTAC operation every five minutes with just, like, whoever's around. Also, if CTAC gets needle cast from planet to planet to do evil shit, then... I'm sorry, authoritarian shit. Then shouldn't they all go crazy from using the different sleeves? Or something? Um... Maybe it takes like a hundred things to do that, but still, that seems like a lot. Or maybe they only use the sleeves in cryo-freeze whenever it's an emergency like it is here. In that case, why keep the sleeves on ice? I just don't see it. All, again, supporting the fact that these people are idiot authoritarian. They just send Kovacs in on his own. It's like the, the advantage of working as a team and training as a team and being elite special forces is not that you are individually badass and capable of doing anything. It is that you are able to function as a group, to cover one another, and to converge on threats on unequal terms. Like a SeaTac officer doesn't need to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the freaking ninja. Like that's not necessary. The goal is to have four SeaTac officers shoot a ninja. It's that simple. So this is incredibly contrived, but uh, I, I accept it for some reason. It works for this series where 
the two, the brother and sister come back together after all this time. She's obviously still on the planet. Um, I kind of hate the fact that family members are destined to like grow up into the same strata and come back together. It makes the story work. I don't need something more contrived. I was kind of hoping it would be her. I like that these two are inter instantly synergetic. I, it just works for their characters and their histories. They instantly kill one of their friends to save each other. So we're down. We're in. We're like right over the edge. There's no stupid choice. There's no, oh God, what should I do? They instantly uh, team up and have a badass Riker scene. Um, I like it. I really like it. I, it's just like the the C-Tech armor is freaking terrible. I don't I don't get the point of that at all. They go down exactly like the the gangster guys. I uh, these guys are fighting back to back like they've been training for years. Uh, I cannot sit down with my family for Thanksgiving because some of them voted for Trump. Like. I just, I just uh, so and also there's complete video game logic here like there were only a handful of SeaTac officers so I get why they're dead but it does feel like all the SeaTac guys just instantly threw in with the gangsters to kill these guys it's like oh you're the main characters now we're going to try to murder the shit out of you uh, I hate how Japanese she is her character with the swords and the Yakuza and they calling people Gaijin it seems fucking cliched it works though, they're both pretty badass, and I think that's just fine. Uh, I like the set piece, I like this weird little dome thing, I don't care what it's for. There are a lot of things I like about this series. This series is comfortable in its own skin. It is a run-of-the-mill sci-fi version with, with a, a an updated view of the future given our, our modern understanding of science and computers and things like that. It's well acted. The writing's acceptable. There are a few times where you're, I think, um, excuse me, I think in the last episode the captain said something where it's like, I thought no one would get hurt. I'm like, fucking really? Anyway, so we learn, which we knew was going to happen, but we learn organically that she uh, was not put into a safe family and SeaTac did lie to him and therefore are the bad guys. I guess when you're just the tip of the sword though you don't realize all of the all of all of the dirty stuff that goes into what you do. You have a bad you have a bad person, you kill them, you go home. You you sleep into the next body, you get a couple days off. So, uh, I did like that there's a little bit there where Jager is like here's your mission for the Here's your rewards for the mission. You get days off and money bonuses. It's interesting. And you kind of get the feeling that someone else went on leave in Takeshi's body. And that guy got him a, a, a tac tattoo. Because you can't go on vacation in your own body, I guess. Because he's never been in the body before. So, you know, otherwise he would have taken vacation on his body. Probably found his sister in the, in the downtime. So we kind of get back to their childhood home. It's interesting how, I mean, I think it's easy to to live in America and see like little forested areas that you grew up with being replaced with shopping malls. And I kind of wish I kind of wish a gross point blanket happened here, 
that whatever they found, which we know it was one of the trees, whatever they found in the woods was like paved over and it was a total gross point blank shopping center now and they could fight Jaeger to, um, oh God, I don't know who that, is it Welcome to the Jungle? Is that Metallica? I don't know. Um, you know, if they could just fight him to, to you know, some kind of rock song. Nonetheless, we get something good here. We get, like, this is our one good scene or sequence of character bits between these two, where there's, it's just the two of them. And I don't think this show is smart enough to hint at that. But it does. It does talk about how they're drawn together because they're blood, because they're the only people they have emotional connections to. Although, again, every time Takeshi Kovacs isn't around, his sister quits having a life. Completely. She joins the Yakuza, but she doesn't, like, drink with them, and she betrays them on, like, a moment's notice. Like, I get that they're hardcore gangsters, but I assume that they're a family, like the Mafia. There are deep ties of loyalty there. And... Takeshi just works with army guys who just shift him around to different units and make him kill people for money like a like a guard dog. He should also have something of a life. Because, he, again, he has time off. He doesn't just kill nonstop. So he should have more of a life. I get that. But it makes sense for his regimented military thing. There are probably very insular, isolated bases he could go to. There are, you know, there's military propaganda he could watch that's entertaining enough. Um, it'd be interesting to see propaganda porn that SeaTac makes just to keep his officers in line. Um, but she has been out in the world. She's been in Yakuza. They, they live and they do things. And, and maybe she was just as much of an enforcer as he was, but... At the same time, you don't want to have your forcer, your enforcers to be socially disconnected. And then she goes on for 200 years, and we don't... I mean, I guess she gets up to all kind of stuff. She lives long enough and has compound interest, so she's a Methuselah now. So they, they have a an honest moment, but they do... The gravity of it hits them. What they've done is big, and I like that they take a moment to recognize that. To talk about the the emotional and temporal gulf that exists between them. They're connected by a shared history up to the time they were like six or seven or twelve. There's nothing else. And now they have each other just because they're family. And for for no other reason. It's it's a really thin scaffolding. But even as adults apparently they had neither nothing. They had no emotional scaffolding or shared experience with the people. So uh, they talk about extinguishing themselves and another one being born, which is just growing up to be people that aren't uh, prescribed by their environment. And then that sort of gets reduced because they're instantly thrown into the envoys. Again, this follows naturally. The envoys have some unspoken connection to these trees. They're out in the wilderness. <laughs> And so it makes sense that they were unwittingly moving to an unknown envoy base. So then I think we have one scene where we're like, oh, are we going to join them or not? Even though, again, it's a scene. We know how it's going to end. Let's move on. It's not what's going to happen because we know what's going to happen. It's how does it happen? 
And so they, they put him in a very good place, an open field with two directions to run in and guns on either side. That's a heck of a trap. It's fiendishly clever. Um, it looks like a state park, but I assume, yeah, I assume the envoys can set up some, some basic, um, some, some basic infrastructure, or maybe it is a state park and they just put up like, you know, it's down for maintenance signs and they're just like, well, I didn't hear about this. And he's yelling at his boss back in Washington on Harlan's world or whatever. I didn't point it out before, but Harlan's world is a nice shout out to Harlan Ellison. He's really bloody here. They're suddenly very realistic about that. I mean, you know, he'd got in the back of the head and suddenly he's fine. But whatever. Suddenly, you know, like when you hit someone in the back of the head, they do it in movies. It's actually like a bad thing to do with concussions and whatnot. Uh, so I appreciate they're giving it some weight. And Quell trusts him because Quell is magic. We never learn why Quell is magic why she knows fucking Jedi bullshit how she can just read Takeshi or how she got these people they they do talk how they about how the envoys go to other worlds and I just um I guess it just it just feels like oh we didn't know the envoys were on this world or else we would have been here. So the envoys are apparently on other worlds more. So, so we assume they have a bigger presence on other worlds. So are there other cells? Does Quell spend time running other other cells in other worlds? Just she does here. Is this their secret primary base? It feels like this is one little one little holdout in the woods. It actually actually feels like when the Asgardians were on the run in Thor Ragnarok and they're all hiding in the caves and shit, that's what it feels like. Anyway, so it feels like this struggle is bigger than what we see here and I respect their attempts to make it bigger and to show how they reach other worlds with their missions. I don't know why they have glow sights. I'm trying to figure out what the what the little neon yellow things on their guns reminded me of. I want to say it's like a pop-up HUD for like a toy when I was a kid. Where it's like Batman has like super grapple hook ice action bad wing. And then like the, the thing pops up and it's like targeting enemies. Uh, it feels really nerfy to me. Like it's, it's, it's a nerf accoutrement. I think that whatever future gun grounding they get they kind of lose it in the, the the neon plastic factor. So is his motivation revenge? Is it to do the right thing? Is it to protect his sister? Is it to do what's right? Because he says revenge, and so she playing him for revenge. However, we see him have other motivations. He he becomes a part of this family, so then he doesn't want revenge. Is she just hooking him? Is this she's like revenge? You're like revenge. And I assume that whenever he says they brought out all of his inclination to not do violence, he's just being like poetic or whatever, because he's a poetic soul. Because suddenly that happens. 
He's not really mean. He's good on the inside. Which let me tell you, it doesn't matter who you are on the inside. It's what you do that matters. Yeah, I'm stealing from Batman because Batman was right. Because she suddenly just sees to his soul and he's a good guy now. Whatever. So, Ray. Ray is her name. Of course, Ray is her name. So, I'm, I'm a little unclear on Takeshi's motivations. He is a person without a home. He wants a home. He wants to, to do the right thing. And I think the envoys do both of that. Ray doesn't give a shit about any of this. I think Takeshi is used to structure and used to having someone to follow. And I think that's super dangerous. It's a character flaw. Because once he wait, once he's out of the ice, and the envoys are killed, and he's supposed to work for Bancroft in the private sector, <laughs> he he does a bunch of drugs and wants to shoot himself. So I think, I think that's a reasonable assessment to his character where he doesn't have a direction, and he doesn't know what to do. And I, I was hoping for something on the trees. We we have like a scattering of things about the envoys, like their ninja shit, the tree, um, uh, Quell, and and she wants to fight immortality, but also it's a rebellion against the protectorate. So, what are all of these things? And this episode, it's a flashback. It's one hundred percent flashback. I guess I should have prefaced that before she's going on about. Sea uh, tag and shit. Um, it, this is nothing but a flashback episode that's bringing us up to speed on where we are now. It's, instead of just giving us piecemeal bits that we can put together because we got brains and shit, they are giving us a whole episode of backstory, which I don't. I tell your story however you tell your story, guys. Um, I it feels a little artless. Like, all of the flashbacks we've had to quell training people are in this scene. Which I admire from a cinematic perspective, because they shot this, they put this scene together, and they cut it up into the flashbacks. And that's hella efficient. I fucking respect that. Um... <laughs> I, I... But apparently this is like the two-month ninja training course. Wow, does my paper really make that kind of a sound spike? No. Maybe it was just extra sharp. I might actually have to edit that out. Um, so... <laughs> uh, the Envoys have a lot of kids here, which seems weird to me because... <laughs> like, they're rebels, right? Like, they're not like a dissident social movement. Where, like, they're prosecuted minorities. They're not, this isn't the caves of the Matrix re revolutions. Uh, and I don't know what, what, the, what the last two Matrix movies... I don't know if it's Revolutions or Reloaded. I don't give a shit. No one does. So, I feel like this is like a one-day certification course. It's like, why, why can she catch a knife? Why can she no-look catch a knife? I... I am glad that we go from this scene to a scene where they're actually doing a mission because it shows that Takeshi wasn't just like a part-timer and like he joined the day before they did the big mission and then it was destroyed because films have a habit of doing that. They actually show him going on a mission and spending time with the envoys. Time passes. 
points to Ray for trying to kill Quell because she understands what this is all about. She understands that men are weak and they get lured away by vaginas. And Ray's like, damn it, my bro's going to get lured away. Ray apparently is a sexless asexual. So I was like, whatever. My motivation is to fuck with this plot and want to catch you to myself. What <laughs> the fuck, dude? She's up to some some Maximoff Lannister shit here. I don't I don't know what her angle is. I don't know Ray's angle. She wants to be with her brother and live with her brother, I guess, and to be safe. Okay, access protocols. Okay, it's on this secure R and D facility, another planet. The the back doors open. Okay, so. Apparently these guys just leave SeaTac guys running hot and then you can get in through a back door because that's how computers work. Take over the stacks on another world. So they're needle casting from here. They're needle casting from here. And then once they're back, that's a needle cast back, right? So has to be a needle caster on their side. So we assume there's a cinder and transceiver array. So then DHF phase coherence transfers ago commits engagement. So, okay. Oh, look, I missed this the first time I watched. This, like that lady phasing in out shows that time is passing. I must have blinked for that and I thought this engagement was too short. But they do that so we know we understand time has passed and now, whoop, we're coming back. The mission went thing. So DHF is a signal. Apparently it's a human signal. So they got to a transfer station to shoot themselves back out. I thought they were going to show us the whole scene. Again, it's it's very effective storytelling not to show us the scene. They show us from this perspective. I have no idea why Quell wants this guy's dick. I mean, he's an attractive guy. Do not get me wrong. Um, so, I mean, that that's understandable. But she's Quell. She's, she's after more than just a hot piece of ass. She could have her choice of... You know, now that I think about it, there's not a lot of choice ass in the Omnivores. So that's no good. So. <laughs> so there we go. So it all makes sense, I guess. I, I, I didn't catch all this because it moves pretty quickly. And indeed, it should move pretty quickly because we're just showing an example of what Takeshi brings to the Envoys, the Envoys doing a mission successfully, how they operate, we learn about DHF signals, which I guess are just drink, um, the broadcast signals that they use to transmit stacks, because when, well, we, we learned it's going to be Ray in the last episode, whenever Ray backed herself up while talking to the Russian, um, she didn't have like one of the net collars that enhances the signal, but apparently she can still upload using shooting out a DF, DHF signal, I suppose. And then the DHF signal is basically the radio wave version of a person. So the stacks are also transmitter receivers on their own but possibly shortwave, so you have the collars to do that more. Um, 
but then also maybe maybe also you um, can download to them remotely with a strong enough power source maybe maybe it's a power issue where um, you need a casting station a needle casting station to ramp up the power so this this is this is where Quell goes full Jim Jones I'm sorry she's given the speech where oh we can't just fight the protector it's not enough we have to fight immortality itself I feel like that guy from the Plinkett review should be excuse me I have a few questions here so if SeaTac existed if SeaTac and the protectorate existed before immortality then how is immortality the source of our problem here on the other hand if immortality was always the problem why haven't we been attacking Methuselahs from the get-go? You know, and what does bringing down the Protectorate mean? Because we have no idea what its governance is. I presume it works for the Methuselahs? I don't know now, because at this point it feels like stacks are still a relatively new technology, but no one talks about it like that. I also have many questions about the stacks as not being linked to who you are. You put a DHF signal in and you put it into another stack. Simple enough. Okay, what if someone's in there? What if someone's plugged into a receiving station and then you, they're in there. Maybe they're taking a nap. I don't know. Maybe they're about to transmit out and then put your car into it. So, like, are they just dead now? Do you get bounced back? If you call a wrong number, do you die? If if you get a busy signal, are you just busy forever? So she has a program. Okay, so here's the deal. Humans manufacture stacks. We use alien metal to make the stacks, put them into people's necks. And whether that's the seat of consciousness or just a recording device, I'm really not sure, because we're going to get into that before this episode's done as well. So then she's going to make a code to make it bad. But then won't we just make new code? Like, I know she made it. So the DHF is the people, not, not the stacks. So Quell's going to do a suicide mission. Even though they have needle casting stations and whatnot, so they could totally double sleeve themselves, right? And just send a copy into the thing. So would the DHF be encoded and be integral to the like the person? Where she's like, no, I'm gonna actually corrupt every human consciousness that this touches and make them mortal. Which seems more insidious to me than just making the stack bad. <laughs> so, maybe it's like a quantum thing where once you pull out a DHF signal and analyze it, you kill the person. So you can't erase code from it without killing the person. It's not just data, it's some sort of hypothetical Schrodinger's cat data. On the other hand, it seems like adding data to it would be just as problematic. But I guess people add to it every time they live and have an experience that's recorded to the stack. So 
Yeah, see, so now Takeshi doesn't want revenge. He wants to make a difference. But he also wants to bone Quell. So he has many conflicting things. And they, they play his sister's character well. I may have said earlier that they didn't. But, um... I hate this. So what, apparently they, they keep this highly secure facility in the woods somewhere? It looks like a house out in the mountains. And not like... You'd, you'd put a secure facility in a city. Possibly make it part of a security plaza. And then have routine nighttime guards. But then... Like, well, okay. So, I don't know why she would tip them off to where her brother is, right? Because we understand that uh, Ray is going to betray them. So, I guess she's angry because she all... No, she could not have possibly betrayed them before knowing Takeshi went on the mission because she learned about the mission and then sold and then saw Takeshi go on it before she had a chance to sell anyone out. Uh... So, okay, so she's trying to betray the envoys to get her brother freed, but all she does is put him in danger. Like, there's no way that the DHF attack wouldn't have also killed... <laughs> there's only one of these. There's only one sliding plate glass door in the entire setup. In this entire security facility, there's only one of these. So, apparently they have a relationship now. I don't get it. So, okay, so you can corrupt the stacks with programming. I'm sorry, people aren't even stacks anymore. People are now DHFs, which I feel like they may have mentioned once or twice, but I'm a little unhappy that, that it feels like it's suddenly pressed here because it's important to the plot. So... Anyway, sorry, we're back in this room. It's an interrogation sleeve. The German guy is <laughs> coming to terms with this stuff. He's bad at interrogation. It's just like there's no subtlety or intrigue. It's just pure pain and pure pain and torture. It's bad interrogation. It's just pain. So anyway, so I guess whatever she's going to corrupt people's actual souls and make them break down over time um and that that comes from opposing the protectorate that's a really tenuous link and i absolutely don't buy it um i feel like we could have had more pieces linked in there Although this thing moves at a breakneck pace and does does an adequate job of connecting all of these things. Again, Quell doing all this Jedi shit. Like, where did she learn this from? Like, how can Quell, like, control her mind in VR like this? So apparently he's, he's... Oh yeah, no, he's inbound. He's somewhere else entirely. So he's not controlling this simulation. It's being controlled locally and she's... Uh, we've already explained how she breaks into uh, protectorate facilities. 
So, and again, we've seen instances where they've just ripped the neuro thingy off of a guy and brought him out. I feel like maybe when they when they were in the the basement, uh, I guess in the last episode, she takes it off of Kovacs. Maybe she turns it off first, and we just don't see that, and that's why he slides out. But no, she could just turn this off. Whatever. Like, they have a good scene, and then, like, it's a narrow escape. And it shows that she cares about him. They put him in a nice sweater. Good for them. This armor is garbage. The SeaTac armor is the worst thing ever. Okay. So they busted him out, and now he's playing Go with his sister, which I think is classic. Um... It's a good game. It's, it's a classic game. Um, I like that his name's Jaeger because war. It's, so. Mm. His sister badly misjudges Quell. But, or maybe she's just being manipulative. We don't know. She's absolutely right about, about Kovacs being naive though he's had a very sheltered life I assume which I think is fine so anyway but how okay so she asked for volunteers for this mission how do you ask for volunteers in an organization how do you not say okay you guys are the best I'd, I'd like you to come with me I mean let him refuse maybe but like pick the best people uh I don't know Uh, I just wanted, I wanted Quell to be like more cool and less interested in Kovacs' dong. I just, anyway, I think this is also the situation where they mentioned they mentioned they've been with the envoys for years, and I'm sure she wants something different, and she doesn't feel like an envoy. She's just kind of here because. Um, he's here and she doesn't know what else to do tomorrow will definitely be your last day I really thought whenever she's like I don't want tomorrow to be our last day and he's like it won't be I was kind of hoping that the snow from like the envoy massacre would, would start falling I mean I'm pretty sure I was pretty sure it was ash but I was kind of hoping that it was snow um, so just to kind of, I like it when you know what's going to happen in the future, and then little things start sliding into place. I, um, this romance is shit. I hate it. Because Kovacs and, and Quell, bang. So, I, I, I like reading, I kind of have a habit of reading novels, just like random parts towards the back, and then I read the novel. So I was reading one of my favorite Star Trek novels, Federation. And there's this scene where Picard's on the bridge, the main computer is down, data's broken for some reason, and they're trying to remember, <laughs> like, their junior high history about what happened to the original Enterprise. And they're like, they said it was, there's people on there, but records say that it, it, it died with no hands on board. And Worf was like, actually died with Cleons on board but they weren't counted in the official statistics at the time. I was like, damn. So much for your liberal forward-thinking utopia. That's sort of propaganda shit. And like, oh shit, well there's, maybe those are Cleons, but they weren't Cleons. 
she's like oh hey the original enterprise was destroyed so this enterprise from the past which were unable to communicate with and who are unwilling to communicate with us because of the temporal prime directive they understand that we're a ship from the future so they won't initiate a hail to avoid uh creating a temporal paradox so um you know we have to know if the enterprise is, is fated to be destroyed in this 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 black hole with us and they're not they're not at all so then that gives them the knowledge to say hey look if we both survive we need to take the solution where we both survive so quell quell made um uh stacks by the way and i suppose also dhf code and for some reason i buy that instantly i i have no question about it because quell is an interesting and mysterious character that i want to learn more about instead of being a mysterious non-person i also like this room analogy where she's like roads whenever i made stacks i made it easier to move people between worlds and therefore i built the roads that joined rome together and i made the protectorate Okay, so we colonize worlds. Do we just shoot out like gene ships and sleeper ships? And then once we got down there, they set up a DHF transceiver sender and we powered up the people and did colonist shit. Um, and therefore we don't actually move faster than light. We move some fraction of light and then... No, no, because the stacks are made using elder metals. So therefore we couldn't ship metals i guess we could we couldn't ship metals from that world until we had built up the infrastructure enough to i like how they stopped making out so they could build a fire until we built up the infrastructure on that world enough to make rockets to send them back to earth i guess we could have also slow boated rockets over so they could load them up, put them back into orbit, and then rocket them back. Um, that seems like it would take a really long time. But we don't know how far in the future this is. And the only definitive future tech here that we see are the stacks. That seems to be the one big... I mean, okay, synths, which are apparently robots that can hold a DHF. Uh, some guns, some cool new drugs, holograms... Uh, cybernetics so the the bit where um, I don't see a lot of really crazy future techs except for maybe some of the biomods and in, in the DHF and that concept which they attribute to aliens which I find a little disappointing oh and the AIs the AIs are incredibly advanced and I'm wondering what the difference between AI code and DHF code is. This show uh, paints with a pretty broad brush. No, that's not, that's not the right phrase. Um, has a lot of code. Uh, sorry, think about the code that they're downloading to them right now. Um, it covers a broad swath of this society because it's interested in building this universe. Even if it's got only one really challenging science fiction element. And the rest of it... As with good allegory, good science fiction, thoughtful, thoughtful media in general, is just like modern tech, modern uh, society, but 
distanced, distanced from us through a lens. Anyway, her sister found him banging Quell on the beach and got all angry and stomped off because that's normal. And again, she didn't know where he was until that minute. And this shit's going down where we don't we don't learn until later. I thought they were downloading SeaTac soldiers and this little kid was going to start going ninja on people like his fist and lighting shit on fire. Or maybe like sneaking into an armory. So credit to this show, the scene where Kovacs is looking for Ray and you realize the, the attack that he's flashed back to uh, is beginning. Uh, the tension's really high here. It's very effective. And... <laughs> so, so what's happening is that SeaTac is downloading a virus to all of these people's DHFs in the same way that Quell was going to download the virus to make people mortal. Um, and I guess a, a way similar that they downloaded themselves into SeaTac soldiers to do hits on bases. Again, we assume the SeaTac soldiers had no DHF inside them, no person inside of them. Whereas these guys are just gonna bloop 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 that per that, well I guess not replacing the personality they're just altering it. So apparently that's something the government can do: just download broad spectrum personality changes into um, into people. Like that's just a thing that can happen. So we got flood warnings, so my phone's going off periodically. So anyway, now, now he's back in the present because we're going to cut it off right before the whole thing happens. And she talks about how she found out about him from a rumor. And he asked her about her history, which I was curious about because, man, it's been a while. So, um, yeah, here my notes say, what has she been doing this whole time? Um... Yep, there's notes. Did SeaTac uh, body hack people? So, um... Anyway. Um... It's interesting. It's, uh... Like, they both seem on board. They seem reunited. Everything seems good. Like, we get that Kovacs is a little bit... Distracted. I feel like... I don't know if he's... I feel it's because of the flashback. It could also be his envoy shit telling her how full of crap she is. So, um, so they did the DHF hack and they just bombed it for funsies. So he runs back into this one set where they live. They're, the SeaTac is, is jamming radio communications, I suppose. Everyone here is covered with ash, just like in the flashback. You know, we've, we've finally come to the, the thing that we realized. So the, the deal with Federation is that you individually saw each of these things happening. The original Enterprise entered the black hole. Enterprise D entered the black hole. And all of these pins kept falling into place until you eventually arrived at that scene. Um, I, I kind of like that. I don't feel like they did that here. They just go, boom. We know, we know it's going to go pear-shaped. We know it's going to go bad. I guess he's carefully looking. I don't see him scouring the, the, the envoy base for his sister's remains. It's almost like he's read the script where he's not desperately searching for his sister. He's experiencing this this horror, which is good cinematically. I don't feel like it brings us 
I feel like his character's mind should be on his sister, right? And it's not. He's trying to figure out what happened. Although, he's a SeaTac officer, right? So he should have some kind of um, knowledge of this. I mean, obviously he's horrified. Um, they keep it vague, whatever this is. Whatever the, the... I think it's called Rawlings later. It just makes everyone think that they're in virtual. It just makes them see bad things? I don't know. I just... Right, people think they're in a simulation. So then, like, I guess they just see people as monsters, which is some fucking Batman Begins shit. It's not particularly... So then suddenly she's lucid. Just long enough that she can die, I suppose. I'm just not satisfied. I, I feel like it's too set piece. Hey, we've seen that guy before. Now we did. So dead from sad disease so we're, we're putting our plan together and this guy that he has a history with he just yes he's got to see some shit though and here we finally like again he he rips out his own eyeball DeSoto the guy that Kovacs was beefing with and eventually became friends with um, he rips out his own eyeball and he doesn't know why. So the other lady was seeing monsters and then she's like, oh, she's a monster. Shoots someone and then goes, oh my god, we killed each other. So I have no fucking clue what that was about. So then he's going to kill DeSoto as like a mercy. And in doing so, he's going to shoot him. And in shooting him, he's going to give away his position to all the SeaTac guys that are storming this place. Ineffectively, I would add. They're just kind of standing around. So, I feel like Tack could kill the shit out of this guy with his bare hands. He doesn't need to shoot him and give away his position. It feels like it's, it's kind of bullshitting. So, I was really confused as to why our good guys were unaffected, but they were just far enough away. They were out of range of what seems like a fairly potent weapon, so what I would expect is a fairly short-range one. So then... Tack is just sitting there and they're not maybe they're shooting him they're just bad shots think about that they're not even good shots man SeaTac sucks like they're supposed to be badasses and they look badass they look really badass but like I just don't get it they don't have this they don't have a perimeter secured at all so he just gives him the slip. And then he's... Oh. Alright, so he gets, so now, now we're trying to get away from here. And we know that he escapes because he ends up in a hotel room with some chick who's important to him. And... In a new sleeve. And I think they fuck. I think they fuck in the beginning of the first episode. So it seems like that would be Quellcrest Falconer. So, Quellcrest and his sister get to the shuttle to escape, and neither one of them wants to leave him, and this takes entirely too long. 
Um, but we know he ends up escaping. And he, we know he ends up with a woman. So unless it's Ortega's mom, Quell's going to live through this. And because his sister said the shuttle was shot down. So we know Quell's going to live through this somehow. And... And they're going to get together and fuck in another world. Although the, although the woman he was with did ask him about Reese leaving. And Falconer's got to have Reese leaved a couple times. Plus, like, she gives tips on Reese leaving. So anyway. Um, and that whole take what you're offered thing? That doesn't seem in keeping... Uh, I'm jumping back to discordant... Um, uh, envoy elements where you know we're just like oh we take what he's given but like in what in what case do they do that in which case do envoys walk amongst the populace take what is offered and do like things with um you know things with the natives and blend in and uh <laughs> like the shuttle takes off and he's like you didn't get her we don't know who he's talking about. We assume Quell. And then comedically, comedically it's destroyed with particle lances or lasers or whatever the fuck. It's amazing. Oh, it's just the greatest. It's the greatest. So. Um, wait, I have a question suddenly. So, so we're going we're gonna to cut forward to the scene where Quell and... Ray are on the shuttle, right? And sorry, it is hilarious. And it, I like that the the fire is in slow motion here, and sometimes it seems to freeze. I um, I like it. Might be green screen. I feel like it's green screen, but it looks good. It's good enough. <laughs> so, and then he just does like the whole. It's a classic hide where he just. And their sensors, their sensors are useless in the ash they created. CTAC, I need to fi figure out a clever acronym. Ugh, I need to figure out a clever acronym for stepping on their own dick that becomes CTAC. Like, how? How? Ah, uh, Cox tread something. Cox, I don't know. I just don't understand why these people are so fucking incompetent. I mean, I do, because they're authoritarian dicks who shoot every target that stands up and don't know how to deal with someone who's actually competent and hides from them. Like, these are people who break into innocent people's homes at nights and shoots them and then charges them for the bullets. Fucking idiots. Um, like, in the beginning of the Syrian um, crisis that's happening, um, like... The, the Assad regime went out and shot people who were rallying at funerals. There were more funerals, more people rallied at them, and then they had a rebellion, re revolt on their hand. So, so yes, the, I said I would get to this later. Where does your consciousness lie? Is your consciousness in your brain and it eventually shoots to your stack? And therefore, it's conceivable that she could be traumatized and just like a human brain might not remember the last moments of trauma because it hasn't processed them, so too could a stack brain, right? So if you die too suddenly or too quickly, your your brain can't send it to your stack. 
On the other hand, if your conscious experiences are shot directly to your stack and processed by your stack, so your brain doesn't do anymore, all your sensory information goes to the stack and the stack is doing all of this, then um, that means that, yeah, no, you always have perfect recall. Not perfect recall. Wait, do you have perfect recall? Um, if your consciousness is in, is in a computer storage medium, why would you not have perfect recall? Um, unless, again, it's like a quantum signal that has, has faults in it. So... Quell is talking to him through these nanobots. So right now our story is that uh, his sister's remains were found by an archaeology student with some DNA. Guy cooked up the DNA, um, spun up the stack, got his sister. She manipulated him to get a synth, stole her DNA, escaped, cloned herself a body. And bada bing, bada boom, here she is again in the present. Astronomical chances. And of course that story is bullshit, as we're about to learn. So Quell's voice is here. Quell was in the same shuttle. Um, could they have resurrected Quell's body and his sister's DNA? Although it would be messed up for Quell to bring up his sister's DNA. I like these flashbacks to remind, to remind me of who the hell these people are because I fucking forgot. So he goes into the secret room adjacent to the waking up room, which is like not very secret. It's not even locked. And he... He finds three frozen sleeves, which are a complete sociopath from Bancroft's party who put a dude in the stake because the laws of mortals don't apply to her. Methuselah 2, Electric Boogaloo, finds his sleeve. So, like, that guy who rescued the Russian um, and hired Mustache Watcher, that was his sister the whole time. And then the girl who talked to him at the museum which doesn't seem like a power play honestly so it's like i've figured it out and you've teleported two feet backwards away from those coffins so then okay so why were the lightning bugs in her office whispering quell stuff we take her as being ray so if she's Quell, would she want to see if he knew about Ray's rebellion, if um, Ray's betrayal, right? Because be Ray betrays them. Uh, would he betray the envoys? If Quell was alive, would the envoys still be gone? So then his sister karate's out a remote detonator, right? And then it powers up and then they explode. Or maybe it's just a homing signal. Yeah, I guess it's a homing signal. So his sister whips it out and blows them both up. She says, they gave me a life, which I guess would be a life outside of this. But why in the world would Ray betray them to SeaTac for anything? I mean, okay, Ray's plan is that everyone eventually dies. But, I'm sorry, not Ray. Quell's plan is that everybody eventually dies. So Ray says, yeah, if we throw in with you, maybe will definitely die. If I throw him a SeaTac, I only maybe die. And apparently SeaTac kept some part of their bargain because they did actually fucking save her. Um, so he was betrayed by his sister, which I didn't see it coming. Although I've only had one episode to think about this. But she does care about him. And now he can be Methuselah and live forever, I guess. It's a little creepy. 
I just don't know why she would, I, I guess maybe if there was no other option. If Quell's just giving her death one way or the other. Impossible missions. Literal, like the literal plan is to commit mass suicide uh, by making everyone only live 100 years. Then um, maybe that's it. Anyway, it's kind of intriguing. It's a little clever. I don't, I don't know. I'm slightly more excited for the next, for the last three episodes. But still, fuck this show.